Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. My name is Louisa. I'm the host of your show, International Passion Ambassador. Thank you for making us, thank you for being a part of us and whatever you're doing right now. I have a very wonderfully exciting guest today. His name is John Perkins. And if you don't know who he is, John Perkins was chief economist at a major consulting firm. John has advised the World Bank, United Nations, Fortune 500 corporations, US and other governments, and is the author of 10 books, including New York Times bestseller, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. The book has sold over 2 million copies and has been published in 35 languages. John's experience as an economic hitman convinced developing countries to build huge infrastructure projects that put them in debt to the World Bank and other US-controlled institutions. Although he had, he had been taught this was the best model for economic development, John came to see that this was simply a new form of colonialism. Today, John Perkins is on a crusade to transform our failing death economy to a life economy. John's latest book, Touching the Jaguar, Transforming Fear into Action to Change Your Life and the World, tells the dramatic story of how, when he was a Peace Corps volunteer, his life was saved by an Amazonian shaman who taught him to touch the jaguar, to change his reality by embracing perceptions that transformed fears into positive actions. Here's a quote from the book. Touching the jaguar means that you can identify your fears and barriers, confront them, alter your perceptions about them, accept their energy and take actions to change yourself and the world. John regularly speaks at universities, economic forums and shamanic gatherings around the world and is a founder and board member of the non-profit organizations, the Pachama, uh, I probably said that incorrectly, Alliance <laughs> and Dream Change. John, welcome to Passion Harvest. Great to be with you, Louisa. <laughs> and I love, the, I love your name, Passion Harvest. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're harvesting people's passions around the world. Yeah, Pachamama. Pachamama, Pachamama, thank you. <laughs> Congratulations on the book. I finished reading it. It's absolutely brilliant. Thank you. I'd like to get started, I guess, for people who potentially haven't heard of you. I'm sure they have. But I always like to do a bit of a background. So I guess there's so much to cover in this time period, but your, I guess the start of your journey really about working in Ecuador in the US Peace Corps. Right. Yeah, so that was, well, I went to, I was, at the end of 1968, uh, was sent into, deep into the Amazon rainforest uh, to live with and work with the Shwa people who were hunters and gatherers uh, deep in the forest. <clears throat> and at one point, I got very, very sick. Um, I couldn't give any food down. I was dying, really. I knew I was dying. And I couldn't, I couldn't leave. I couldn't get to the nearest medical facility, which would have been a three-day terrible trip. A lot of it through very dense rainforest and then up a curvy, torturous dirt road uh, up 10,000 feet into the Andes. It was no way. I couldn't even stand up without help. And so I was resigned to dying. But a shaman came along and, and offered to heal, to heal me. 
Well, you know, 1968, and now it's 1969. I've just graduated from business school. Never even heard of a shaman. They're very <laughs> popular they're, nowadays, but. <laughs> they're very popular today, but I didn't I know what a shaman was, but um, it was my only option. And so I took it. And that night he took me on a shamanic journey, a, a vision quest. And while I'm on this vision quest, I, I, I have my eyes closed and I, I see this amorphous form out in front of me. And the shaman yells to me, touch the jaguar. Well, I, I look all around, like I open my eyes, it's, it's dark, it's jungle. Well, where's the jaguar? I'm like terrified. And he says, no, 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 close your eyes and see the jaguar and touch it. So I close my eyes and this amorphous form shapeshifts into a jaguar. And, and I hear this voice, like my mother saying, the food and drink will kill you. And I realized at that moment that I'm eating some very strange foods, in my opinion, from where I come from, things like squirming white grubs alive. I'd never eaten those before. And people in the Amazon don't drink any, uh, don't drink river water because they know the rivers are dangerous. That they, you know, they have organic from falling trees, etc. <clears throat> so they make it, the women make a kind of beer. It's called chicha, and they make it by chewing and spitting the manioc root. And that sets up a fermentation process. And then you can add water to this alcohol and drink it. So I'm drinking a lot of spit beer and eating a lot of squirming white grubs because there wasn't any Perrier and there weren't any cliff bars. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I ate these things or drank this, uh, this spit beer, I heard this voice saying, it'll kill you. At the same time, I saw in that, that shamanic journey how incredibly healthy and robust the Shuar were. They're hunters and gatherers, and they, and they live to be and they, you know, they're, they're strong. They live to be very old if they don't die of a hunting accident or some such thing. And, and so I realized that night that the food and drink wasn't killing me. It was my perception, my, my mindset. And the shaman then demanded, and, and I got healthy after that, and the shaman then demanded that I become his apprentice. And again, you know, <laughs> there was no future in shamanism in 1969. It was not a great career path at the time. No, you know, I graduated from business school. I had no interest. <laughs> but the guy saved my life, so what am I going to do? I, I become his apprentice. And he taught me that um, touching the jaguar is basically the quote you just read. Touching the jaguar means, uh, you know, that we confront our fears, our barriers. We face them. We don't run from them. And when we reach out and touch them and confront them, it changes our perception. And with this new perception, we change our energy and we're able to take actions that change our lives and often the lives of everybody around us. And incidentally, I'm, I'm always touching this Jaguar. I'm wearing it right now. Love the T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very similar to the cover of the book. <laughs> yep, that's the and, book, everyone. And so um, after that, you know, I spent three years in this area and, and I came to love these people. I go, I go back every year now, I have ever since. And uh, then I ended up studying with shamans around the world. Uh, I became an chief economist at a consulting firm, which is called an economic hitman. We can get into that more if you want. I'd love to briefly discuss that in a minute. Yeah. Um, but anyway, as I traveled around the world, I, I would spend, I'd spend time wherever I went in Indonesia, Iran, Egypt, all, all over Latin America, all over the Americas, studying with shamans whenever I had the opportunity. And How I did discovered you find that, to connect with these people, though? I mean, it's just... 
Well, once, with, how once did you, you find sort it? of know the language and you know, well, when I'm in another country, you just start asking. And mm -hmm. and and you 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 know you know to go to the indigenous the local indigenous communities you go into one of those local indigenous communities and you ask to you learn the the word in their language and cordero in Spanish and or sacerdote or whatever and and then you you go from there and you you let them know that you really want to meet one of their healers and they're actually usually these cultures are very happy when people from the outside world want to get involved in that aspect of their lives because it's because they're used to having foreigners coming in and debunking it and saying these these people don't know anything and i was going in you know like i'm i have tremendous respect for this this body of knowledge that that your that your healers have and i'd, I'd like to i'd like to meet some of them and and i learned from the shaman in the amazon at the very early stage that the basis of shamanism is using perceptions to change reality and so that's true of shamans all over the world, that they understand what also what modern psychologists understand and quantum physicists and advertising executives, that there is no reality for humans except as we create it through our perceptions. When enough people accept a perception or codify it into law, it has a huge impact on reality. There's no Australia, Louisa. There's no the United States. There's no culture, there's no religion. <clears throat> there's there's no economy, there's no corporations, except as we perceive them and then codify them into law, respect them, and then they have a huge impact on reality. So and everything's a false construct or a false reality that we've created. Well what's being taught. It's not, yeah, it's not necessarily false, it's it's what we create. So in, in my case, the, the truth was squirming white grubs and spit beer. Now that's that's a that's a physical reality. My, and what the shaman called a perception bridge. My perception bridge was these will kill you. <laughs> these will make you sick. And so it took me to my reality of I was sick. If I change across a different perception bridge and I say, no, it's local organic food, it's nutritious, it's making them healthy, therefore it'll make me healthy, it takes me to a new reality, I'm healthy. And the shaman would explain that on that bridge, this is the way they put sans this jaguar, you know this jaguar and and the jaguar is 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 the voice saying son it'll kill you and as long as you believe that voice and it may be something like oh louisa you can't possibly do a podcast you probably heard that at some point along the line <laughs> you know maybe i told myself that as well yeah yeah maybe you yeah you're not we're not good enough you're not educated enough you're not whatever it is and and but once you touch that you reach out and you touch it instead of running from it or listening to it then you receive the power to move forward and change your reality. So then I have the same reality, spit beer and squirming white grubs, new reality, it's making me healthy like it does them, it takes me to a new, to this, rea this reality. So we have physical reality, this microphone that we're speaking through is physical reality, but the words that we're speaking create perceptions and those perceptions then impact our reality as, as to the way we live. And that's a fascinating concept. And again, it's, it's all aspects of human life from, from business advertising and marketing to, uh, to quantum physics, to, to, to psychotherapy, to whatever, whatever you want to say. It's, mm -hmm. it's behind everything that we do and say. When you take the coronavirus today, if your reality is, um, I can't possibly stay self-isolated for another day, not to mention a month or two, that can be a very big jaguar. 
But if you then say, well, wait a minute, didn't I always want to learn to play the flute? Yeah. And I have a flute and I can go online and learn how to play it. So that's the opportunity to do that. Didn't I always want to read another, these, this, these three books that have been sitting on my desk for years. Um, didn't I always want to write a book? Whatever it is, we, we, when we reach out and touch that which, which is holding us back and face it and then accept the messages that it gives us, uh, we can move forward into really a higher consciousness, if you will, into a, greater, into a state of, of greater satisfaction with ourselves and the world around us. And that also sort of incorporates shape-shifting. And you can weave this into any aspect of your life. We do create yeah. our reality. Yes. Yes. And, and in fact, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to just promote the book. But no, no, of course we are. I love the book. <laughs> well, but the subtitle, I want people to say, you know, transforming fear into action to, say, to change your life in the world. And that is what it's all about. And fear usually is our fear of change. You know, or fear of something that's different, like like the food to me was something different to me. So, uh, but we can always transform that into action that'll change our own lives and the world. Mm. And I guess my question is on a deeper level: what what is fear? Is it something we're we're taught by our society or environmental impact? Well. You know, the classic example is the flight or fight response. So if you're actually walking through, through the jungle, well, let me do this. <laughs> yeah. So I write You've got about, a few fearful stories in your book. In the last, yeah, in the last chapter, I think it is, of the book, I talked about just a, a year or two ago, I was kayaking down a river in the Amazon, and I came around a bend, and, and, and I, I come up on this, on this jaguar swimming across the river, full-grown, huge jaguar that I'm almost going to crash into, that the current's taking me into this jaguar. And I, that's fear. There's a fear there. I don't really want to touch it that It is, jaguar. but it's so synchronistic, and it's such an incredible way to end the book. I know. And it was such a message. You know, I, I backpedaled with a, with a <laughs> paddle. I stopped myself from moving forward. And, yeah. and so, so, there's, so there's the flight or fight. And, and that, in that particular case, it was flight, I guess. I didn't really, I couldn't fly. I, 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 I just relaxed. <laughs> stay put the jaguar climbs out on the bank of the river and then i go forward but so that's the classic you know there are there are these situations so you know you're about to hit a car in front of you when you're driving and, it's, and suddenly the, the car slams on its brakes and you're about to hit it and you're, the adrenaline sets in and yes. you do something but the fear that we're talking about here for the most part is this other fear that's so common to human beings of the fear of failure or failure of success a fear that we're just not good enough a, a very that, common one. Yeah. Um, and it's often, you know, it's, it's the voice of something we've read, some, something somebody's told us, something, you know, something we've told ourselves. And so that's what we're talking about to a large degree here. And, and I talk in the book a lot about how we've, in fact, created a global governmental social economic system that's destroying life as we know it on the planet, what we call a death economy that's based on the perception of, that the goal of business is to maximize short-term profits and the goal of individuals is to maximize short-term consumer materialistic desires. And that's created this, this situation that we, we all know is not, is not, is not, not sustainable. Yeah, it's not sustainable. It's not working. So how are you living this? So you, work, you travel to all these incredible countries and you're training as a shaman, but you're living this dual reality as an economic hitman um, that I guess 
you know, it's fundamentally wrong. Well, that's again, perception. So, yes. yes. So, so my job, and, and you read it earlier, was to identify countries with mm -hmm. resources that corporations want, like oil, and arrange huge loans to that country, and, and uh, then hire our own corporations to use the loan to hire our own corporations to build big infrastructure projects in the country. And, and, and I thought that was the right thing to do, because business school teaches that. All the economic models show that if, if you build big infrastructure projects like electric power plants, highways, industrial parks in poor countries, it increases GDP, and it does. So I believe this, that we're doing the right thing. And of course, we're told GDP is a reflection of overall prosperity. But over time, I began to see that what I'd been taught was a false perception. But I, 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 I bought into that perception. I began to see that GDP is not a measure of prosperity for, for the people, it's a measure of prosperity for a few rich people, rich families. Right. So if I use my own country, the United States as an example, there's three individuals here in the United States who have as much wealth as half the population of the United States. If last year those three individuals made, made a 10% return on their investment and half the population lost 3%, the GDP would still show something like a, a something slightly under five percent increase, even though those half the population suffered; they lost money. Mm -hmm. And so, GDP is a false mo model, but it creates a perception that most of us buy into. Economists buy into it. Business people buy into it. And I bought into it for many years. So when I was doing this job as an economic hitman. I thought I was doing the right thing until I came to understand that I was helping the rich get richer and making the poor and the middle classes and the poor poorer because money was being diverted from health, social services and, 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 uh, and uh, other such things, education and so forth, to pay off the debt service. And in the end, the, the debt couldn't be paid off, so we'd go back and, under the guise of the International Monetary Fund and say, so we'll restructure your debt but, you know, give us a pound of flesh, uh, sell your oil or whatever the resource is real cheap to our corporations without any environmental or social regulations or privatize your utility companies and other publicly owned businesses and sell them to our investors at, 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 at cut rate prices and let us build a military base on your soil, things like that. What we were really doing was colonizing the world. But it took me a long while to, to see that because all the perceptions are, are thrown out there that, that we're helping poor people, but we weren't. Mm. I was mm. looking at a quote from the book, Corporate Colonialism, Colonialism Had Enslaved Me. I think that's a great quote. And this sort of segues into the death economy as well, which is what you're talking about. Yeah. So if you don't mind explaining what you basically did, the death versus the life economy and how we can change our perception to change the world. Yeah. So the death economy is really a, an economics, it's an economic system that's built on the, on, the, on the perception that the goal of business is to maximize short-term profits for mm -hmm. a few, basically a few very wealthy individuals, regardless of the social and environmental costs. And it has, in recent years, really, since the mid-70s, but it began before then and it's, and it's really escalated in the last decade or less. 
it's created an oligarchy in the United States and one in most of the world, actually. So, so we have this this economic system that's that's run by a few very powerful people that we call the corporatocracy. I'm not suggesting this is some sort of a conspiracy, but I am suggesting that all of these people are driven by the same perception, and that is that they must maximize their short-term profits. And Wall Street, or whatever the investment street is that you're in, gone, the, the investors are all insisting upon this. And so we, we've created this system that is, in fact, destroying all of our resources that we need in the long term in order to make short-term profits. And it'll uh, buy out the press. Uh, it'll you know, take over the public media. It will take over, it'll, it'll do whatever it needs to to maximize short-term profits, including corrupting politicians. And now in countries like the United States, corrupting politicians has become legal, <laughs> financing campaigns and so forth. So we've created this system through this perception of short-term gain. And if we just change the perception to instead of the goal is to maximize short-term materialistic gains, short-term profits, short-term gains, and say, no, the, the, the goal of business, the goal of people is to maximize long-term benefits for people and nature, for all of us. Then we move to a life economy. And that's an economic system that looks at the long term, that pays people, that pays investors to invest in hiring people to clean up pollution, mm -hmm. to mine all the plastic that's floating around in the oceans and, and, and mine all the oil that's spilled around oil fields all, all over the world and gas stations, and to regenerate destroyed environments and to recycle and to produce technologies that uh, are regenerative, that are themselves renewable. Um, you know, things like solar and wind that we've been doing a lot of recently, but, but that we've got a long way to go to make them even more efficient. And so that's the life economy. And it's, it's, we transition from one to the other simply by making this change of perception from short-term maximization of profits and material gains to long-term maximization of benefits for people in nature. It's a simple solution. It is simple. But, <laughs> yeah, and we then have to take the actions to make that happen. And, and you know, that requires some work. It requires Which is, you know, congratulations. It's amazing what you're doing. Look, I personally, you're an expert at this, but there is a slow progression towards that altered perception. I think it's a long way away, though. Well, I don't think it's a long way away. I hope okay. not, because I don't think we, you know, I really don't think we've got a lot of time. And I think we're, we're in the process, like you said. Uh, so before the virus hit, the mm -hmm. pandemic, we were already marching in that direction. B corporations, benefit corporations, the idea of conscious capitalism. In the United States, we talked a lot about the Green New Deal. We had 192 of the world's most powerful and successful corporate executives back last August in the, what's called the Business Roundtable, they came together and they came out with a statement that said basically we have to create a life economy. It can no longer, our goal can no longer be short-term maximization of profits. We have to look at creating a, a, better, a better world. We have to look at the long term. They said that. And now, you know, we the people, the consumers, the investors, the employees, we have to make sure that they, that they do that because ultimately <clears throat> we have to push them they 
you know, I've talked to so many executives, Louisa, who will say, I want to do the right thing. I've got kids, I've got grandchildren. I want, to make, I want my company to be greener, but I know that if I lose a half a percentage of market share, my investors will fire me and replace me with someone who only cares about market share. So I need you to go out there and tell all everybody you talk to to send me emails or, or tweets or whatever and get all their social networking circles, everybody's social networking circles to send tweets. Yeah. So if every one of your listeners picks a corporation, I don't care what the corporation mm -hmm. is, pick a corporation that you'd like to see change. It could be Chevron, it could be uh, Monsanto, it could be whatever. And, and, and write them a, an email and say something like, uh, it's maybe a little different with Monsanto, but for so many companies you could say, I love your product. But I'm not going to buy it anymore until you pay your workers in India a fair wage or you clean up the pollution you've caused or you stop causing pollution or whatever it is. Get that out there. When, the, when CEOs get these letters and they're compiled in matrices, when they see these, they can then take them to their primary investors. They can actually take them to Wall Street and say, hey, you know, we got to listen to our, our consumers and we're going to be on the top of the curve and we may, may lose a little market share in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to put us ahead of everybody else. So I think this, this is incredible role that we all can play in making that happen. And I think it really had begun to happen. And I actually think the coronavirus and all the demonstrations around social inequality and racial inequality I think this is, these, these are things that are pushing us further and further to understanding that we must change. We must confront our fear of change. We've gone through a lot of fear of change, and we know that uh, in, in, during this coronavirus, we, we've all changed a lot, and we've seen that we actually can change. Mm. And I love just uh, sometimes individuals think they can't make a difference, so I love your um, explanation of how as individuals we can come together collectively to really make a difference in the world and face the Jaguar. Yeah, I, you know, the, I talk about, and, you know, the book is, is stories. I, I hope they're fun and exciting. They and are. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> True stories. But in the end, I also, you know, leave readers with a, a practice they can do for less than 10 minutes every day or maybe once a week, however often they want, that it takes them into their own individual uh, Place. So, I mean, we can all do this thing of, of, of convincing corporations through, through the way we shop. And, and this, it's, it's, it can't just be what we buy or don't buy. It's, we've got to let them know. We've got to get the message out there to, to them and to all the social networking services, why we didn't buy from this corporation and why we did buy from this corporation. We've got to get the message out. But beyond that, every one of us can take um, a stand that's personal. And I, we can get into this if you want, but the... the, 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 the um, <clears throat> This 10 minute, sure. less than 10 minute um, practice revolves around five pretty basic questions that people can do individually. So we can each do a collective thing of changing corporations, but we can also each do our, you know, our individual thing. I think you also talk about in the book, and people often find this very hard and confronting, who am I? How do people dive deeper into themselves and understand who am I more? Well, that brings us to those those five questions really there you yeah. go <laughs> we're working as a team <laughs> all right absolutely good so thank you so first question um what do you could say who am i what would what what do i want to do for the rest of my life what will bring me the greatest satisfaction the greatest bliss 
as I'm lying on that proverbial deathbed, looking back, what am I happiest that I did? What gives me the greatest pleasure about what I did? Or what do I wish I'd done? And now it's time to do it. So what do I want to do for the rest of my life starting right now? And the second question is, how does that relate to the larger world? Because we all feel better about ourselves if we help other people, maybe one other person, or maybe the whole planet. And let me use a couple of examples. So the, the first question, what do I most want to do for the rest of my life? I would say, I want to write. I love to write, Louisa. I love to write. I have a friend who's a carpenter, and he would say, so he's kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum from a writer. He'd say, I want to work with my hands and wood. And the second uh, question, how do I take this out to the bigger world? Well, as a writer, I would say I write stories that, that I hope uh, inspire people to make better lives for themselves and the world. My carpenter friend would say, I want to use sustainable materials my carpentry. The yeah. third question is, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from doing that? For a writer, it might be, I just don't have enough time to write every day. And for my carpenter friend, it might be, well, my clients are going to say they don't want to spend more money on sustainable materials. And so the fourth question is, when you touch that Jaguar, how does it change your perception? So as a writer, I might say, well, I can get up, the Jaguar says, just get up half an hour earlier in the morning and write. Or watch an hour or less of television at night and write. And the Jaguar will tell my carpenter friend, hey, tell your clients that this increased price of sustainable materials isn't a cost. It's an investment. They're investing in their future and their children's future and grandchildren's future. And the fifth question then is, what actions do I take today, every day? And for a writer, it's got to write. You know, you got to write every day or almost every day. And for the carpenter, it's, well, it's, it's not just make that beautiful cabinet or house out of sustainable materials, but point it out and tell the story that goes with it. Like, you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to write a book about it, but you can just say, hey, look, kids, your mom and dad paid me to make this beautiful cabinet out of sustainable materials because they're looking after your future and your generation's future. And it doesn't matter whether you're a plumber or a teacher or a parent or whatever you are, you can apply this process on a regular basis, once every day, once a week, whatever you want to do. And those last three questions, what's holding me back? How do I change that perception? What happens when I change that perception? What actions do I take? Those will change frequently. Yes. But, um, and that's good because every time we, we change those, we rise to a new level of consciousness about ourselves. And we answer that question, who am I, a little better. And we also, um, we also allow ourselves to, to realize greater satisfaction in ourselves. So each time we, 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 we confront a new Jaguar and listen to the change of perception that it gives us, we move to a new level of consciousness. That's such a beautiful exercise to do. I really encourage everyone to do it. And there's something about having a clear vision of what you want for your future. It's comforting. It's comforting to know. It is. And, you know, and in, in, in the book, there's a, so you ask those questions and it gives you a little guide that every day, how you can actually make it easier to implement them. But it is, it's, um, it's very healing. It's very, very healing. And, you know, I mean, I do this all the time. So, you know, I, I've, I've, I've solved the problem of not having enough time to write in the day. I, I have times I set aside to write. But then I wake up in the morning and, and every morning there may be a Jaguar to face like, well, let's see. 
I yesterday I I finished half the chapter on such and such. Uh, oh, well, I don't know where to go with it now. I don't know where to go with it now. I don't know where I'm going to take this chapter next. Touch that jaguar, and the jaguar will say, "Well, listen, follow your heart. What is your heart telling you to do?" And and I'll go and look at my heart, and then my heart says, "Well." Well, write about that jaguar you almost hit in the river. That's a fun story. And that ties right in with everything else you said. So, I mean, each day, <laughs> each day we confront a new jaguar. It's great about- instead of avoiding it, because often we get distracted or avoid our fears and do something else just to not think about it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to touch on in the book, you talk about a couple of prophecies, the eagle and the condor, the mind prophecy and the legend, and I'm not saying this correctly, is Dessa and Avias. If you yeah. wouldn't mind just discussing those, I know there's a lot of information in that, but it's also about overcoming obstacles and changing our perceptions. Right. Well, every, every major culture that I know of has a prophecy that right now we are in the times with opportunity for tremendous change for rising to new consciousness. And yes, I, I described several of these prophecies in the book. And the eagle and the condor one is a, is a telling one because it's relatively brief and, and powerful. It, it probably started in the Amazon back several thousand years ago. We don't know. And then it went up into the Andes. It was an oral tradition. And it spread around a great deal. And, and it says... So mind you, this is several thousand years ago. They said back in the myths of history, <laughs> they said back then, they said in a long time ago, human societies decided to take two routes, two flights. Yes. One was the flight of the condor, which they said is the flight of the heart, the flight of intuition, of creativity, of emotion. And the other was the flight of the mind, the flight of rationality, of science, of industry. And these two parts of society would go in very different directions for thousands of years. And then according to the prophecy, in the fifth Pachacuti, fourth Pachacuti, and the Pachacuti is a 500-year interval in the Quechua language of the Andes. The fourth Pachacuti, which began about 1500, um, the two would come together and clash. And the eagle would be so powerful that it would practically drive the condor into extinction, but not quite. And of course, we know I wonder that, who that reminds me of. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know that's what happened. You know, uh, yeah. Columbus, 1492. And after that, the, the industrialized countries of the world, the colonizing mm-hmm. countries, practically drove the indigenous cultures into extinction, but not quite. And the prophecy goes on to say that 500 years later, in the fifth Pachacuti, around the year 2000, there would be the opportunity for the condor and the eagle to come together, to fly together in one sky, to mate, and to create a new consciousness, higher consciousness, and, and a new offspring, higher consciousness. And of course, we've been seeing that happening uh, beginning around in the, in the 1990s. People took a big interest in shamanism and indigenous cultures. Mm. And the indigenous people started coming out of hiding, basically, and spreading their message and inviting us in to work with them. And, that was a time I, I co-founded the Pachamama Alliance and Dream Change and other nonprofits that are working with indigenous people to spread this message of that we must change the perception, the dream. They call it the dream of the modern world, the perception. You know, you're an Australian, you've got the dream lines there of the Aboriginal people. Song lines. Yes, yeah, song lines. Sorry, yeah, song lines. And but that's basically that's exactly so, the same. Yes, to the, to the dream or the 
the perception, the lines, that, so the, the perceptions that we, that we control, they control us, that we allow to control us. And so we, we've seen this prophecy being realized and the Mayan prophecy of 2012, which Hollywood tried to portray as, as a doomsday prophecy is exactly the opposite of that. It, it tells us that we've ended a time in 2012 was this break point when all the old calendars ended. The Mayan calendars, some of them go back 26,000 years. Wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's the long count and the small, and then it's divided up into intervals of 525 years, the short count calendars. And there were 17 basic ones they, they all came to an end in 2012. And, but the idea being that that's the end of an old era that's, that's characterized by brutality and uh, greed, uh, materialism. And it, it said that, that, that when they ended, we opened the era to the new, new time, which is prophesied to be a time for the opportunity uh, for higher consciousness, uh, for people coming together, for cooperation, for compassion and the, the, the Himalayan people, the Dalai Lama there's a, who I spent time with, has, they have a, their own prophecy around this. And there's so many, Louisa. And you know, if just one of these cultures had a prophecy like that, I'd take it seriously. But when so many, the Christians, the, 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 the Jewish people, the Hindus, um, the Muslims, yeah. Buddhists, all of them have these prophecies that we've entered a time with this opportunity. It's a portal for transformation. And none of the prophecies say we will transform. They say it's up to you and me. It's up to us. It's up to the people to make sure that we transform. The eagle and the condor actually have to come together. Mm, individually and, and collectively. Yeah, and dance together to make it happen. And so... That's what we're doing. We're in the process of doing it. That's why you. That's why we're doing the show together. You Wonderful. Know? I mean, I, just as you were talking about that, I just was not feeling sad, but thinking, our European or Western society, we we so lost our indigenous connection or our connection with the land. Yeah, but we're getting it back. You know, the land is speaking strongly. People are getting more and more into vegetarianism and, and connection with the land and some of these plants are coming out there's some of these plants that are like ayahuasca that's become popular and I have I, I have some doubts about the way that that's being used but the fact of the matter is the whole the whole universe is speaking to us and I think this coronavirus is just the, the latest example I'm reminded of a uh, of a time when I, well, I take groups of people to the shamans of Ecuador once a year and, and, and Colombia once a year and the Mayan people of Guatemala once a year. People can, can go to johnperkins.org to find out more. I'll put but all the links years, in the show notes for everyone that's listening or you. watching. Thank you. And a few years ago, we were with a, a shaman woman, a Quechua woman high in the Andes with a wonderful name of Maria Juana. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I remember that from the book. <laughs> yeah, I can you forget that name. <laughs> Maria Juana Yamberla. And I was translating for the group. One of the people in the group asked, well, so what do we do to save the earth? And Maria Juana laughs and she says, you know, Pachamama, the earth, is not in danger. We are. And we'll, we'll take other species with us if we go. But, and she says, but you know, we're, we're, we're just like so many fleas. And if we get to be too much of a nuisance, she'll just blah, 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 shake us all off. And 
And then she pointed up at this sacred volcano that hovers over her home in Babura. And she said, you know, just a few years ago, that volcano was covered with a massive ice cap. It isn't anymore. Pachamama's twitching. She hasn't shaken us off yet, but she's twitching. We better listen. We're blessed to be alive at this time when we can listen to the earth, to nature speak to us. And you know, Louisa, I thought about that every time we've been hit by another major hurricane or like the fires in Australia or yeah. in California, tsunamis, what, what, these once in 100 year events that seem to happen every year or so now. That's the earth twitching. But we've taken those things as local. So if I survive a hurricane or you survive a fire in Australia, you, we expect that the outside world is going to come to our rescue soon with water and food. And then we're going to, we're going to rebuild just the way it was before, even better. Yeah. But this virus now has hit the whole world. It isn't local. It's global. It sure no, yeah. And there's no outside world to come to our rescue. It's sending us this very strong message. And you can look at the message as being shamanic, like Gaia, living earth, speaking to us. Or you can look at it totally scientifically and say, well, you know, once you cut back on industry, people in places where they haven't seen the stars before are seeing the stars. Nature's coming back. The animals are coming. People are hearing birds singing much more than they ever used to before, and so on and so forth. So scientifically, we can show that the earth is speaking to us. Shamanically, we can show that the earth is speaking to us. The earth is speaking to us. And we have this opportunity to listen. And I, and I think that the, this coronavirus is the, is the, is the most recent and, and the loudest, the, the strongest twitch yet, because it's global. And hopefully we'll listen and we won't, we'll know that we can't return to the old normal, the death economy. We've got to create a new normal, which is the life economy, which is a beautiful thing. It's a thing where we pay investors to hire people Put people to work, doing good stuff, cleaning up pollution, regenerating destroyed environments, creating new technologies. I'm not talking about living in caves. I'm talking about having, a, and we're talking about more the better social justice and, yes. and more equality of opportunity. So we're we're getting a very very strong message right now from this this virus. And if we listen, I think we'll move quickly into a new situation. We won't have these problems if we don't listen. God Which help is us. what? What we had a brief chat before the show started about how long? How long are we going to be here? Yeah, if we don't listen, <laughs> what's the next virus or what's the next catastrophe that's, that, that's going to hit us? Because if we don't listen, there will be another one because we just can't continue. It's not sustainable, as you keep saying. No. no. And you know, Louisa, it's interesting that of the 250,000 years or so that we've been humans on this planet, as we know ourselves to be humans, we've always lived life economies, except for the last blink of an eye and historically, last few, you mean, you might say, you might, you might say the last couple of thousand years has been kind of growing, but it's really been since the 1970s when this thing is really, really, really escalated. Big. Yeah. And so, and indigenous people have always lived life economies. We all come from indigenous people at one point or another. Even though so, we forgot it so, so much. We, yeah, but we're, we're remembering now. Yeah. We, we really are remembering. And that's the ego and condor coming together to get us to remember. And incidentally, that word, remember, comes from a shamanic tradition 
that says in an, in an initiation, you dismember. You actually can go through a shamanic journey where you see yourself tearing, kind of tearing yourself apart and then being remembered. You might say being reborn, <laughs> remembered. You're remembering yourself in your new body and your new shape shifts. And so this is a very appropriate thing to say that we're remembering now. We're, 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 we're in the process of dismembering the death economy and remembering uh, a life economy that we've always, that we had for most of our history as human beings. Mm. It's so interesting you say that because I went on a shamanic journey recently and I had a similar um, experience about the pulling of the <laughs> long story. <laughs> but it was really interesting because I was lying there and it was like my limbs were being shredded of all the debris and anything that no longer served me as I was being buried in the earth. It was a very, and I, and I didn't have ayahuasca, but I, there was a lot of drumming around me, but it was an incredible experience. It's just very similar to what you just mentioned. Yeah, well, there you go. That's the, re the dismembering and the remembering. Yeah. And we're going through it as a, as, as a species right now. And yeah, I mean, you know, regarding ayahuasca, you don't need ayahuasca. That's just one method of one portal. But what you went through is another portal. Mayan fire ceremony, ceremonies are take, just, some, I think they're more powerful than ayahuasca. The, 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 the answering those five questions and doing the daily practice, that's, that's a very powerful portal. So there's so many different shamanic uh, cultures use different means of taking us into these um, portals of opportunity. And really those portals of opportunity are always about touching our jaguar. They're mm -hmm. always about confronting that which is holding us back, identifying it, touching it, accepting the information, the energy, the courage, the patience, whatever we need that's given to us when we do touch that jaguar and bringing it in, and, and then using it in a way to change our, our actions. I love it. So I really encourage everyone to read the book. It's a great book. John, I know we have a time frame here. So is there something you'd like to speak to the Passion Harvest audience about? Well, have your, yeah, passion. You know, <laughs> every one of you. That's, that's my next question. What do you do to follow your passion or find your passion? So if you want to do that, that'd be amazing to end the show. Okay. So every one of you has passion and every one of you listening has skills. And I don't know what your passions or skills are, but I know that every one of you has them. And you're only going to be successful, prosperous, happy in life if you follow your passions and use your skills to, to move forward into those passions. And I think it's very important to recognize that we can all take different paths. We can all follow different passions. I can be a writer. So my friend can be a carpenter. Someone else can be a teacher. Someone else can run a podcast like Louisa. And we can all take different paths. But if we all head for the same destination, which is a life economy, a, a better world for, for, for ourselves and our children, um, we'll get there and have fun in the process. And I think that's what's it's very important that we follow our bliss, that we do what we most want to do, what gives us the greatest joy, the passion that brings us the greatest joy, because if we don't do that, we will burn out and we won't be successful. And that doesn't mean there aren't difficulties. So you have to discipline yourself. I love to write, but there's certain aspects of writing, like when I get down to the real nitty gritty of editing, mm, yeah, I could <laughs> without that, but that's 
that's part of the process. And I've learned to touch that Jaguar and say, well, this is really actually fun. I'm putting the jewelry on the mannequin. You know, I, I, got, I built a mannequin, I built whatever. And, and, and now, I'm, now I'm putting the fine the touches bits. on it. Yeah. So, so follow your passion, use your skills, whatever it is that you most love to do, focus on doing that. You know, really bring that into your life. Great message. And of course, it's all about passion. And I just want to say thank you for working with the world and trying to make a significant change to the life economy. My pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and thank you, Louisa, for your program, for doing what you do. You do. I admire very much what you're doing. You're bringing this message out to such a large audience of people. And thank you so much. Deeply appreciate it. Thank you, John Perkins. <laughs> thank you for being on Passion Harvest. It's been an honor, a delight, passionate delight. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay. And I look forward to staying in touch with, with your people too. Yeah, too. of course. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're Bye, John. Have a good day. You too. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.